Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. What's up? Hello. This is my voice. I don't book any voice work. Can you believe it? I actually, I once took an acting class with David Mamet, and he was like, if you don't fix your voice, you'll never have a career. And so far, he's right. So maybe should have worked on that. Erica Rhodes is a stand-up comedian who currently calls Los Angeles, California home. Originally from Boston, Massachusetts, Erica began her career as a 10-year-old voice actress playing the role of Garrison Keillor's conscience on the popular NPR show A Prairie Home Companion. She eventually became a writer on that show and went on to create or produce things like the web series Apartment 45 and the short film Posey. As an actress, she has appeared on shows like Modern Family, Veep, and Comedy Bang Bang, but is primarily fixated on becoming the best stand-up comedian she can possibly be. Ahead of headlining the comic strip in Edmonton between November 21st and 24th in 2018, Erica and I had a conversation about working on a Prairie Home Companion, growing up with her father who has multiple sclerosis and, luckily, a great sense of humor, the influence of Maria Bamford and perhaps even Jerry Seinfeld on her work, her future plans, and much more. With the support of listeners like you, who subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly pledges at patreon.com slash creativecontrol, plus in-kind support from CFRU 93.3 FM, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, this is the 444th episode of Creative Control, featuring the very funny Erica Rhodes, with your host, me, Vish Khanna talked to my mom today and she was like, Erica, I just had this revelation about you. You and grandma are very similar because you're in a male-dominated profession with stand-up comedy and grandma was in a male-dominated profession with aeronautical engineering. I was like, yeah, we're practically the same person. Except one of us was very good at math, and the other owns one towel. (laughs) And one's still alive. (laughs) R.I.P. R.I.P. Hi, Erica. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? (laughs) It's good. Good, good. I'm doing pretty well here. Uh, Where in the world are you today? I am in L.A. for two days. Oh, is that where you, that's not where you live? Obviously, you're only there two days. Oh no, I live here. That's but I bear but I'm out of town so much. Oh, oh, I see. Okay, and so you live in L.A. As we're speaking, uh, your state is being ravaged by these horrible wildfires. Are you okay? Oh my gosh, yeah. You know, having a studio in Hollywood has never felt so glamorous. <laughs> I, I, I chuckle because uh, that's what you do nowadays. Everything's so morbid and there's no good news. But like it is very devastating. Uh, are you? Do you? Is it smoky? What's go, what's the vibe like? Yeah. In- no. There's like a there's like a gray cloud hovering above the entire city, 
and you can feel it. I can feel it sort of in my lungs a little bit, but fortunately I'm not, I mean, I don't think I'm in the line of danger at all, hmm. but, um, but I definitely see the smoke and everything. Okay. Well, I, yeah. I, I, I want, if, if you need to uh, evacuate this interview for some reason, <laughs> I will not be offended. I, I think that's that's fair. Uh, frankly. Maybe for other reasons, but, <laughs> but probably not the fire yet. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. So, how long have you been in LA? Ten years. Ten years in Los Angeles, and where are you from originally? I'm from Boston. Oh, you're Boston. Uh, the, okay, that's cool. And and uh, why'd you leave beautiful Boston what? for Los Angeles? Well, that's what my mother still asks me. <laughs> um, I. I went to New York for a bit uh, and I did like acting school and stuff there. And then I moved to LA after that to pursue acting because it's pretty much the only place to do that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Makes sense. And, and, and then I trans, yeah. And then I transitioned to stand up. So in some ways, I probably could have stayed in New York, but I didn't know I was going to do stand up at the time. So what prompted the shift from acting to stand up? Um, a lot of things. I felt very frustrated with acting. I felt like it wasn't really going anywhere. And uh, I think I'm just much more creative and I need an outlet to, you know, for self-expression and not just saying other people's lines. So yeah. this way I get to write my own stuff. I've talked to uh, uh, former actors and actresses on this show who got into comedy. And one of the things they pointed out was that in acting, uh, to book a, a, a theatrical gig or something or, or a to book a commercial like it's auditions it's waiting you can't you just you're waiting and waiting and waiting whereas with comedy there's so many open mics you can just get up and perform and then you can sort of hone your acting chops and also discover your own voice was that the case for you yeah and i i got my start in radio i started on a radio show called a prairie home companion and i was doing that since i was a kid which is a live radio show and uh, so I was I was so used to performing that I didn't I didn't really feel I, I felt so frustrated not having an outlet to perform. And uh, since I wasn't going to do theater in L.A., really, I thought, well, stand up's pretty much the only way where I can perform without without somebody giving me permission to perform every night. Right. And and the only yeah the only addiction I really have in my life is performing. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. you mentioned the Prairie Home Companion. If I understand things correctly, you you started that show when you were ten years old. Yeah, I was a I was a kid, and I had no idea what it was, and I had a very funny voice. And my mom's from the same hometown as he is, and asked her to do a fundraiser uh, for her orchestra, and so he came out and did that. And then he met me, and he heard me speak, and was like, "What is that sound?" <laughs> and so then the next day I was doing I was doing it. I was acting with Allison Janney. I shared a dressing room with her and um, she taught me my f first vocal warm up. And uh, I played Garrison Keillor's conscience telling him, like, you need to call your mother. You need to do your tax income tax returns. <laughs> right. You you were Garrison Keillor's conscience. Yes. Right. Yeah. That, that That is quite uh, quite the role to have as a 10 year old. Yes. Yep. <laughs> what kind Huge of responsibility. Huge responsibility. There's a couple of things I want to follow up on here. Number one, can you give us a taste of your first vocal exercise? I'm just curious. I know you're. You say in your uh, one of your comedy uh, bits that I've seen that you're. You know, you're not going to get hired for voice acting anytime soon, which is ironic given that that's what you were first known for. So I'm just curious about that vocal <laughs> exercise because I could use some help with that myself. And then, by uh, the way, I do find it very ironic because I get told I have a great voice all the time, but I've been rejected a bunch by uh, voiceover agents, and I'm like, why can't I get, you know, voiceover work when everyone's like, you have a you have a great voice. <laughs> yeah, you you have a very unique and expressive voice, and you obviously have this experience. It does seem baffling. Don't you put that on your CV? I was on. Prairie Home Companion, for crying out loud, one of the most popular radio shows yeah. of all time. Like, why? How could yeah. you not? If you can't get stuff, who can get stuff? I don't get it. That's kind of what I don't understand. But but I'm not. But again, because I do stand up, it's kind of all I care about. So I'm just like, whatever. You know? like, well, it's also interesting that you could age out of your field when you started at 10. That doesn't make any sense to me. Because that's what's basically happened. Like, your voice now is not the same. It's different than when you were 10, I assume. 
Yeah, but I could probably still play a 10-year-old like in voice <laughs> in the voice world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, do you remember what Alice and Janie taught you about a vocal exercise? Oh, I think it was pretty simple. It was just kind of like ha hum ha hum mama me mo moo mama me mo moo, you know, like that kind of thing. Yes, I've seen then, I've and- seen this depicted. I've never attempted it myself. Does it actually help? Yeah, I mean, you can look up vocal warm-ups probably on YouTube and stuff. But, yeah, but yeah. then there's usually like a series of um, tongue twisters, you know, like Shelly sells seashells by the seashore. Shelly sells seashells by the seashore. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down, Erica. You're going too fast. <laughs> I can't keep up with what you're I saying. I know. I'm really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so that's, that's – but you don't know who Allison Janney is when you're 10 years old, do you? No. She didn't know who she was. She right. wasn't famous yet. Right, right. And you share the stage with because of that show, which does yeah. now that show still exists in some form, right? Uh, kinda. Right. Garrison is no longer doing it and there was some controversy there as I recall. Uh but yeah. and, and when did you stop doing the show? When he stopped doing it. Oh, right around the same time. Are you in touch with him at all? Yeah, he he actually married my aunt, so he's sort of a relative. Oh, he is, he's my he's my uncle by marriage. Oh, I see. Okay, and so I don't I don't want to go too much into it because I imagine it's a a source of some pain. But uh, I and I can't even you know these I can't keep track of everything that's going on in your country uh, with the various people <laughs> various people causing problems. But he was uh, I believe he was accused of something, and then uh, did he lose the show as a result? Is that what happened? No, no, no. He was already retired. So it was, it's extra, it's oh, the okay. whole thing's even crazier because um, he got fired when he wasn't even working anymore. <laughs> right, right, right. He, you can apparently get fired after you're retired in, in this country. Right. And, um, and, but, then, and then was he replaced with someone? Well, no, he the whole, see, this is what's so funny is nobody knows the story like he uh, he retired. And uh, he gave the show over to Chris Thiele, or, or I forget how to pronounce his last name. And uh, and then and Chris took it over, and it was still named Prairie Home Companion. But then when there was like some controversy thing, um, they re- he, Chris renamed it Live from Here. So now it's called Live from Here. Oh, I see. Okay. So it's really, but it's really nothing like the show. So it's pretty much not the show anymore. And, and, and what the, there was a film made about the show. Uh, yes, uh, Robert Altman directed a film called A Prairie Home Companion, and uh, Meryl Streep was in it. Lily Tomlin. It's an amazing cast. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a good movie, and I actually got to watch. I um I wasn't in it because the role that Garrison had in mind for me ended up being played by Maya Rudolph, and he, and I was too young at the time to play that role. And right. Lindsay Lo- Lindsay Lohan played my role. <laughs> Wow. So, wow. I didn't I wasn't in it, but um but I did get to watch it being being made and I met Robert Altman, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that's amazing. One of our fi- one of the finest filmmakers of all time. I do sense a bit of um well, for me hearing you talk about it, like a little bit of sadness. You seem to be uh, replaced. Uh people are viewing you as a little bit expendable. They're not giving you your voiceover roles. How are you feeling about yourself, Erica, with all of this you know. Wait, what? I, I, I didn't say any of that. <laughs> well, I'm saying, you know, well, my... I wasn't repl- I haven't been replaced by anyone. And I said, I don't want to do voice stuff. OK. All right. So this, <laughs> you're not defensive at all. You just you're just <laughs> stating plain facts to me. And I, I got it wrong. I'm sorry. I I apologize. I like, Sadness. I'm doing great. You, I'm, you're I'm doing performing all over the country and <laughs> going to Canada to perform. And no, I love I'm so happy that I've stand up because. I feel like uh, Prairie Home Companion was like how I started, but it's not something I wanted to do my entire life, you know, yeah, like, yeah. and I was a guest on it. So it's not like I was like a regular, I mean, I was a regular guest on it, but it, it to me, it was really like, that was my version of college. Like, that's how I started entertainment, but you don't want to do the same thing your entire life, you know? And uh, one thing I learned from it is to just start your own thing. And and the more depend, the more um, independent you can be in this industry, the better. So, like for me, I stand up is like the goal. You know, I love stand up. So, so who taught you? When you say you learned about sort of having a, an independent streak, was that from Garrison? Who 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 gave you that sort of uh, inspiration? Oh yeah, totally Garrison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so- he's he was a one man show. You know, he he wrote the whole thing. He he did he performed the whole thing. He 
he was like a one man band. Yeah. So this this is inspiring for you. Did you and and for those who haven't heard the show, and to be honest, you know, being here in Canada, we didn't hear it regularly unless we sought it out. I saw right. the, I saw the film. That's probably the most exposure I had to the actual show. My understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it's sort of a whimsical, charming show. There is comedy in it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, um, it's like an old school radio show. So it's, uh, there's like skits in it that he wrote, and with a uh, with actors, and those were usually the ones I did. Mm-hmm. And then he would do a monologue. So he did a lot of storytelling. And then they'd have music as well. Right. Okay. So it's like a variety show, old school kind yeah. of variety show. So what yeah. in terms of comedy, because you started out theatrically, do you feel like your experience on that show informed your work now as a as a comedian? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I started, the first thing I was writing for was the show. So, you know, he, he wrote a script called Erica, um, which I ended up helping him write like he would just say why don't you write you know about your ex-boyfriends and so I would write a bunch of stuff and then he would look at it and I'd say you know are we going to do that tomorrow and he wouldn't really say anything and then the next day would be most of the script was what I wrote yeah right (laughs) so so um so he got he got you writing like that show got you, you you mentioned the performing but you actually started writing there yeah and he's the one who encouraged me to do that because he was like I think you're I think you're a writer Oh, and and I, you know, I for for me, it's such a weird evolution because I never saw myself doing stand up. You know, I really saw myself as an actor. Then I didn't see myself as a comedian. I didn't see myself even as a comedic actor, but people thought I was funny all the time. So then I just went in that direction. And then eventually it just all sort of, you know, culminated in stand up, which I didn't expect. It just sort of happened. Yeah. And and thus far from the comedy of yours that I've uh, seen and consumed. I mean, you seem to me, seem to me to be someone who is interested in sort of misdirection. A little bit of pun stuff comes up. A little bit of family humor, you know, at the expense of your family. I'm just curious if you can talk about whether or not you have any um, kind of perspective on where your voice comes from. We've mentioned the Prairie Home Companion. I think you've alluded to your mother a couple times already. And I feel like she's the source of some comedy for you. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Like, do you have a, some perspective on your voice as, as it's currently uh, working for you? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I definitely feel like my my upbringing has a huge influence. You know, like having my dad. My dad has MS, so he he's in a wheelchair, and uh, you know, coming from something like that, it's like a it's a dark thing that, but also is a great mining for comedy because as a family, we just had to laugh at it all the time, you know, and my dad is so, so funny. So I think I get a lot of my humor from my dad. Hmm. And then my mom is just a funny person. <laughs> like she doesn't, she doesn't mean to be funny. My dad, my dad means to be funny. Right. So, so they're a really funny combination of people like together. I think, I think I have a little bit of both of them. So you grew up in Boston with uh, your your parents, and uh, uh, when did your dad uh, contract MS? Before I was born, but oh. he wasn't in a wheelchair until later on in my life. So he was on crutches for a long time, and you know he worked he worked all the way through when I was in high school. So he was able to still work, but but for a lot of that, he was in a wheelchair. Okay, okay. So this obviously must have some impact on uh, some huge massive impact on you uh but at the same time it sounds like you didn't know anything different i mean he had it when you were oh born. yeah i didn't know anything different except that it would get worse uh every couple of years right you know so it would affect you know affect everybody a little bit differently but i mean obviously mostly him <laughs> well, yeah you you do t- I, I there's a clip of you on youtube and you address this and i think the crowd can't believe how you're addressing it <laughs> And the, the jokes you're making at what seem to be the expense of your father, but it's your pain. It's your, you know, this is something you're experiencing too. Uh, have your parents heard these jokes? Oh yeah, he. I mean, they love they love their the jokes about them, and my dad loves them, and um, and they're they're actually kind of funny because they can get sort of competitive with each other. Like they'll be like, like my dad will be like, "Well, mom has a lot more jokes now 
And then my dad is always, every time I talk to him, he goes, I, I think, I really think you should say my dad wants to try stand up, but he'd have difficult with the standing up part. Right. And I'm like, dad, no. <laughs> He's like, I really think that would work. And I'm like, no, it would not work. It's not funny. <laughs> so some of this gallows humor that you display, it's kind of in your bloodline, I suppose. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, you grew up in Boston, and is it is it is it fair to say that were you like were you interested in acting before this Prairie Home Companion thing took you, uh, you know, swept you up at ten years old? Yeah, you know, I I was acting since I was five years old, um, and I actually my so so my mom's a performer. She's a violinist, and she she's uh, plays in the Boston Pops and everything, and so. Um, she was always very inspiring with like, find what you love to do. So in some ways there was kind of a lot of uh, inspiration to do something in the performing arts. Mm -hmm. And when I was young, my mom got me an agent because people kept saying, even though I was very shy as a kid, people kept, I wasn't shy with strangers. So I would just like go up to people. Like one time I went up in the subway station in boston and started singing with a street performer like she was singing a song um called like charlie of the mta or mbta uh-huh. and i and i knew the words from from kindergarten or something so i came up and just started singing with her and everyone was like what is, who is this child singing with the, <laughs> this woman and um and so people kept telling my mom like you should get her into acting and so eventually she did and i had an agent and my first gig was I modeled a waterbed. And uh, you modeled a waterbed as a I child? I modeled a waterbed. And I, you know, never do that to a child because then they'll think that entertainment is the best thing in the entire world. <laughs> Getting into <laughs> I was like, this is, he- I mean, I still remember that day. Like I was five and, you know, I, it, a waterbed is amazing when you're five sure. and then you're you know everyone's taking your picture and and you're just sleeping and get and then I got paid for it at five years old yeah like my first gig and I thought that well I'm in it now for the forever <laughs> yeah you had moxie and and your your mom uh sought to you know see if uh maybe it translated into something but then my yeah, but then my passion was ballet. I was I was really into ballet, and so my my mom was sort of pressuring me to do acting, but I didn't I didn't really care about it. But ballet was my main thing as a kid. I thought you know I was very serious about ballet. Is it is it true that Natalie Portman booked Black Swan over you? Is that what I heard? <laughs> <laughs> I just said uh, caring... the rumors are true. The rumors are true. <laughs> no, it sounds like. Uh, just and just so we can get this out of the way right away, because I know I've uh, painted a rather dour picture of your career prospects, and I didn't mean to do that because you're doing you're doing extremely well. Uh, and uh, so I, uh, <laughs> I, I you, that was so funny. You're like you sound really sad. No, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it that way. You uh, you have actually uh, been on numerous uh, TV shows and things, right? You have a lot of credits. Yeah, I, I I had a I had some a small part on Modern. You're not supposed to say that, but I had a, okay. I had a part on Modern Family, on Veep, New Girl, um, and then I did a I had like a series regular role on a ABC web series called The Off Season. Oh, okay, right, and and what, yeah. and so. So you you are landing work. I mean, that's the main point of my. Oh yeah, I'm working, but but for me, uh, you know, acting has taken a back seat um, to the stand up. Right. Okay. So you get into stand up uh, at some point because, like you say, it's, it's it seemed like there might be something within you that uh, that spoke to that sort of realm. Do you have comedy people? Like, were there comedians you looked up to? Uh, yeah, the first the first person that I discovered was Maria Bamford. Oh, and you know she I I found her web series online, and mm-hmm. there was this song called "People" um, or "Don't Be Afraid of the Dark." Right, and I was so hooked on it. My friend Dan had told told me about it, and I was like, "Wow, I love this! I love this woman. She's so interesting and just so unique." And like. I loved her because I just felt like she was just doing her own thing. And I wasn't even that familiar with her stand-up, but I just loved this web series. And 
And I had, I still, this is even crazier. I still had not even thought about doing stand up. And I wrote to her manager and I said, I'm a young Maria Bamford in the subject line. And her, her wow. manager is named Bruce Smith. And he was like, well, I don't see it, but uh, you are funny and I love a Prairie Home Companion, so let's meet. And I met with him and I was like, and he's like, what's your dream? And I was like, I want to be on SNL. And he's like, get a different dream. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. He's, he's, yeah, he, he's very upfront. And he was like, but I do see you doing stand up. Like, I think you could do that. And I was like, really? So we had this really long meeting. We talked about stand up and he ended up signing me as an actress and I and I, it took me another year and a half until I tried stand up. Like I was terrified of it, hmm. really scared of it. So what, what, and, given your pedigree, given some of the things you've done. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What do you think uh, made you fearful of doing stand-up, I, I can assume part of it was that stand-up is you on your own. Yeah, well, I had no idea how to do it. Like, it's like anything, like when you try it for the first time and you don't know what you're doing, you're scared of it because you don't know what, you don't know how to write a joke, you know? And I, I, I know some comics who've been doing it a really long time who are like, I was writing jokes when I was five. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, I mean, I was funny when I was five, but I wasn't writing jokes when I was five. Like, I never... Like, my brain was never like, I need to write jokes. And so I was intimidated by the, you know, writing, the writing aspect of it. Um, the work, and, the, the work that yeah. goes into it, yeah. Well, also, I just didn't know how, I didn't know that there was a process yet, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like, like, I played cello, too. Like, that was another thing I was really into in high school is cello. And cello, you know, you learn how to play cello when you're seven, and then you just know how to read the music, and it's you know, when you know how to do it, it's not some big mystery. And so once I figured out that there wasn't, once I figured out there was a technique to, to stand up to just like music, I was like, oh, now I think I can do it. Okay. You know? But that okay. took me a long time to figure out. Yeah, that's a major hurdle for people who are told they're funny or think they're funny is, is actually getting to the point where they, they sit down and try to do the work. That's, that's well, complicated. Yeah, well, one thing I've noticed is that sometimes like stand-ups who are naturally funny and get up there and like kill in the beginning, they don't end up sticking with it because it's almost too easy for them and they never figure out like how to get good at it. And then the second they bomb, they don't know how to deal with it. And they're like, well, I don't want to, I don't want that feeling again. Yeah. You yeah. know, whereas people who start out bad are often the ones that stick out, stick it out the longest because they get used to bombing and they're like, oh, that's not such a big deal, you know? Well, Maria is an interesting choice for you, I think, because I, she was just on this show a, a few months ago and we had a good chat and, and I've been a longtime fan of hers, but she is someone in her standup. Uh, her standup is very theatrical. Like the writing is there, the thought into what she's saying is there, but she also just embodies like a thousand characters during her hour and uh, did that aspect, and when I think of you and your stand-up, I, I, I think of primarily the writing and and the way you're performing it, which is pretty pretty straight. Like, I mean, you're not getting into too much character work from what I've seen thus far. Was that? A yeah, no, I don't think my style is at all like hers, which yeah. I think is a, a good thing because I do, I get compared to her as a person a lot. Like, people are like, do you get compared to her? And at first I was really flattered, and now I'm, like, a little worried because I'm like, I hope people don't think I'm, like, trying to be her, no. you know, because no. I think I have some natural things that are similar. Like, we have high voices, you know, we might look a little bit alike, but I'm actually glad that you say our acts are so different because I'm definitely not trying 
to like be Maria Bamford. No, you know, there is no, like yeah. there is no Maria. There is no other Maria Bamford, which is why she which is another reason I admire her because she's just so original, you know. So um, and yeah, so and I feel like my I feel like my my stand up is a little bit more like grounded and a little bit more like um, just my voice. Like I'm not really trying to do voices and things like that. Yeah, is so. that is that strange for you, given that you do have this theatrical background and could probably very easily put on this kind of performance within your act? I mean, I'm not saying it's difficult for you, but you've made a conscious choice to kind of compartmentalize that aspect of your creative expression from comedy, it sounds like. Well, I haven't done it consciously. I just don't really do voices. Like, that's like, you know, like, I'm just true to who I am. So if you talk to me, it's like I'm not like theatrical when you talk to me I'm pretty like just grounded and yeah you know sure real so also if I if I book parts I usually book parts that are pretty similar to myself like I'm not like playing I'm, I'm not like playing characters you know yeah so um so yeah I just do what comes naturally to me and I feel like just talking about things in my life and like speaking in my own voice is natural I have one I have one joke I do where I like do an impersonation of a Lyft driver in Minnesota who's like, she was just like really friendly. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she has like, her, she's like, oh, you do stand up? That's so impressive. I wish I could do stand up. Wow, your mother must be so proud. Wow. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's like, the, that's like the one, the one impression i do right now but yeah like a little bit I of do. dialect but not too much yeah yeah and then i do a little bit of my mom where it's like a, it comes through a little bit her voice but but i'm not like trying to do it yeah no i i, I appreciate that i know i know some people uh comedians they'll explore stand-up to learn a little bit about themselves and i know that um you know you are we, we refer to the fact that you talk about your family you talk about your father and his ms on some level, I can't help but wonder if that's a little bit therapeutic for you, like for your family as well, to kind of laugh off these things. Have you noticed in your stand-up anything about yourself? Have you learned things about yourself uh, since you've become a comedian? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're always learning learning about yourself. Um, and I also feel like um, you're your voice is always evolving. Like the things I want to talk about are always changing. And what's interesting about those jokes is that those were some of the first jokes I wrote about my dad. Mm-hmm. And now it's weird because they're, they've been connecting more than ever lately, like recently, which is just an interesting thing where when you write, like usually I connect the most with my newest material, you know, it's like the audience can sense that like it's fresh and new but for some reason, like the wheelchair stuff is like really killing lately. <laughs> so, um, oh, so you're saying it's connecting with the audience more than it used. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's really interesting to me. It's interesting that you say that thing about therapy because, uh, you know, that that sometimes worries me because I don't want to sound like I'm doing therapy on stage because like the point is to entertain and make people laugh and um Obviously, I like try to get a little bit deep with stuff, but I don't want it to seem self-indulgent, you know, like that's that's been a concern of mine is like I don't want to I don't want to seem like I'm doing it for myself. Like I'm I want I want the audience to be having a good time. Oh, sure. You know? No, I, I appreciate I appreciate the distinction. I think there are yeah. there are comedic voices and comedians who kind of strive to do both. Like it's sort of a, it's almost inadvertent that you learn more about yourself as you express yourself. Like you might write a some a musician might write a song and realize objectively like, oh, I'm clearly dealing with something here. I'm clearly, you know, writing about a specific instance that I haven't even thought about in years. Um, I just well, want- I didn't realize, I didn't, do, do you ever watch uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee? I, I do, yeah, I've seen it, yeah. I just saw the Ellen one, and I didn't realize that her huge hit joke that was on Carson was um, about her, her girlfriend dying yeah. in a car crash. Right. Like, I had no idea that that was the backstory for that joke. And to think that that was like sort of her big break really makes sense because 
I think the more emotionally connected you are to the material, the more the audience will be connected to it as well. Yeah, and it's fascinating you bring up that show because I feel like Jerry Seinfeld is pretty much the prototype for keeping a bit of distance between himself and his material and the audience. Like, he makes very funny jokes. They're kind of observational jokes. You have a sense of his perspective on life, but in a lot of ways, unlike more confessional comedians, I don't feel like I know Jerry personally from his jokes. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's really true, actually. Like, I think he's done that in sort of, I think he's done that on purpose, you know, like, like, I think he's extremely intelligent. And he's very observational with his humor. But you're right, he's never really like, he's never really like given of himself in the same way that like other comics have. Well, it's just as you were saying, I think Jerry's philosophy is the same as what you were saying about how your primary motivation is to entertain your audience, make them laugh. What's funny is funny. That's Jerry's big thing, which in these times, uh, not everyone is so forgiving of uh, funny being funny. Um, <laughs> right. And so I think you're in an interesting position because you seem like you have a similar philosophy. Like you trust the audience uh, to let you know if something's funny by their reaction. Uh, and you're not afraid to talk about whatever's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think I'm probably more confessional than than Seinfeld, sure. than Jerry Seinfeld. But but also I'm I'm willing to. uh get rid of jokes if they're not working. You know, if something doesn't work, I'm not going to just keep doing it because I want to do it, you know? <laughs> yeah, but and, and but you also made a point there that I thought was really fascinating, that you don't want to come across as self-indulgent. There is a lot of confessional comedy about it, about people's lives, and, and the best people make these stories work. You know, I'm thinking of Tig Notaro or someone. You know, they can t- yeah. delve into their lives and the hardships they've had, but make it engaging and relatable and it doesn't feel like you're like what am i why am i watching this person talk about these things you you seem to be of that mold like you want to talk about stuff in a funny way but you're interested in the jokes maybe more than the i don't know self-fulfillment or self-realization um yeah i mean i would i would definitely say both though i mean i i yeah because i get pretty personal and everything yeah and so um i i for sure want i I definitely want to get philosophical with it and have people leave, you know, thinking about stuff and also like just able to laugh at, you know, things that aren't pleasant or things that are uncomfortable. You know, like I have a, I have another joke after the, the joke about that, where it's like another person with a disability, like, and, and, and I talk about that and how the first time I met him and just the awkwardness of, of it, you know, the interaction and that like it's really important that we just that we're just honest with things that aren't necessarily comfortable. So I definitely think I like say things that are, you know, hopefully thought provoking too. Yeah, you do. You absolutely do. Don't get me wrong. I, I just uh I'm trying to crack the Erica Rhodes code here. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so when you when you met with Bruce uh some years ago, he asked you what your dream was and you said SNL and he said get another dream. What's your focus now? What do you, what is your what, do you have an aspirational objective so to speak in terms of comedy? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, do you mean like what I'm hoping to accomplish with the career stuff or do you mean I mean at the risk of sounding like a guidance counselor, I suppose I I suppose I am kind of asking you like I I I know that every working comedian that I can think of really wants to be the best comedian they could possibly be and and make stand up uh, viable for themselves because it's not a easy road to get to that level. Is that your yeah. focus? I, but there's a, a whole other school of thought that the comedy and stand up is a gateway to a TV show or something else. You seem like you're really invested in the art of stand up right now. Yeah, no, for for sure. For me, um, I, when I started stand up, it might have been something I thought would lead to other things, but now I'm just realizing, no, this is the thing. You know, yeah. and so I'm really embracing it. And I and I really feel passionate that that the best way to get great at stand up is to just hammer out the road. So I'm on the road like almost every week now, which was one of my main goals for this year was to just get out on the road and do as much stand up as I possibly could uh, to get really great at it, because I think things will naturally come from it. But I don't I don't feel like it really works the other way around where you're like. I'm going to get a TV show and then I'm going to do stand up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, some people do that and I get it, but like, 
But for me, I genuinely love stand up, you know, and and I think it also goes to show like people try to push the acting on me because they see me as an actress and and I enjoy acting and I can act. But I think if I'm honest with myself, I feel the most fulfilled with stand up. Well, it's, it's good to hear. It's good to like I feel like you do know yourself, which is a very important aspect of getting there. Yeah. I think in like 10 years, I'll really have myself down. <laughs> no, but I, yeah, you, you seem to know who you are. I think that's important in, in life generally. And uh, Oh, yeah. It takes forever, doesn't it? It does. And it's every day I'm learning about who I am. And uh, I agree. Yeah, it's it's for sure. It, that's that's there for sure. So you're coming to Canada, right? Yes, I'm so excited. Edmonton. Edmonton, that's where my wife is from. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm calling you from Ontario, which is, uh, if you know geography, it's a little bit further away. But we, yeah, we go to Edmonton uh, quite a bit. Where are you playing in Edmonton? The comic strip. The comic strip. Okay, have you been to Edmonton before? Never. Have you been to Canada before? I've been to Montreal. I just did the Montreal Comedy Festival for the first time. Just for laughs. That's a big... Yes. Did you do you agree this is a big deal for American comedians to come to Montreal? Yeah, it was a really big deal because it was new faces and I auditioned four times. Oh wow! Yeah, before I got it, so so it was exciting. And then I also did a gala, um, the Howie Mandel gala. Oh, cool! And so, did you get uh, the new faces thing? Did you get like a taping out of it, a special kind of thing? Um. Yeah. Well, the. Not the new faces, but the but the gala. Oh, okay. The gala was okay. taped for CW. Okay, okay, cool. So you, you've you been to Montreal. Edmonton's a new experience. Do you have any questions about Edmonton? I go to Edmonton quite a bit. Do you, do you have anything you want to know? Is there something I can help you with? Yeah, is there anything besides the mall? Because I, I heard the club's in a mall. Oh, yeah, the club is in a mall, but try to avoid the... I shouldn't... Someone in Edmonton's going to be angry with me. Don't... Don't hang out at the mall. I mean, I know I don't want to hang out at the mall. It's the it's. I don't even know if it still is. It's probably the third world, like the world's third largest mall. Or if I carried on with that sentence, probably the largest mall in the third world. Uh, oh my! God. I, no, I don't know why I started to say that, but it probably makes sense somehow. Anyway, yeah, it's a mall. I don't really go to the mall. There's a roller coaster in the mall. Gave me a tiny bit of whiplash once. Don't do that. Uh, but the downtown is it bigger? Is it bigger than the Minnesota Mall of America? I can't comment on that. I've not measured either one. I don't know. Okay. I've not been to the Minnesota one. That's what I'm saying. I think they've built big. It used to be the world's largest mall, and I'm, oh. I'm sure there's like a mall in Dubai now that's way bigger. So I don't want to get you know caught up. I don't want the Guinness people to contact me because of <laughs> some world record thing I broke or made a mistake about. But anyway, my point is Edmonton's a lovely city. There's a lovely downtown. Great food. It's it's a cosmopolitan Canadian city in the middle of kind of the prairies. I think you'll have a good time. But dress uh, warm. I, I, sh- I should oh, say yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Is yeah. it going to be freezing? It's not going to be like the worst ever because you're going, well, your dates are in November. Like it gets really cold January, February. It gets extremely cold. It's among the coldest cities in the country of Canada. So you'll be fine. You'll have a good time. I, I have a good feeling about it. And, and beyond uh, these shows, what's coming up next for you? Do you have uh, plans you can share with us? Yes, I'm going. Well, I'm going to North Carolina on Wednesday. Um, North Carolina, where whereabouts? Sorry, Raleigh and uh, and then Wilmington. Nice. Okay, I, my aunt is in uh, in North Carolina near Raleigh. Oh, so I oh, everywhere cool. you're going, I've been, and uh, that's good. Wow, <laughs> I have some Impressive. family. Yeah, it's a, it's sort of weird. Yeah, North Carolina is nice. I like that place. It's like I love North Carolina. I've done I've done this club. I'm doing a club called the Dead Crow Comedy Club. Um, I've done that one before, and then I'm doing Good Nights, okay, which is a really good club too. So, um, and but I love North Carolina. It's like really beautiful there. Yeah, they could work on some of their laws, but otherwise, <laughs> it's a uh, it's a good place. Are you going to get into a bunch of uh, political stuff in your act? Uh, no, I try to avoid it. I yeah. the only thing I've tried to delve into a little bit is is not being like feeling like I should be more political than I am, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's fine. That's a good thing. That's a funny thing to address. I, it seems like it's impossible to avoid it. So good on you. I, I get the sense also you're trying to make comedy that's a bit timeless, right? Yeah, I mean for the most part, I'll talk about things kind of going on, but um, but but from my weird perspective. So I'm not really like delving it i don't i yeah i I think seinfeld actually has a similar thing where he's like i feel like other people do it better so why would i try to do that yeah you know yeah that's fair now uh where can people go to learn more about you uh, erica on the internet or elsewhere 
Um, well, I have a website that's ericarodescomedy.com. So that has all my date, upcoming dates on it. And uh, then I'm on, you know, all the Twitter and Instagram, blah, 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 yeah. all that stuff. Okay. All right. So people can track you down there now. <laughs> yeah, I'm this- just at Erica Rhodes on Twitter. Now, uh, normally when I have a, a comedian or a musician on, I suggest that we uh, go out on a bit or a song or something, a, a track. You don't currently have a record out, right? Not yet. I'm actually going to do my first album in March. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. Now, I, yeah. I know there's a lengthy clip of you on YouTube that I, I've watched and I referenced a couple of times. Is there what some... is it? Oh, it's like a clip of you doing stand-up. Oh, Okay. It's like 15 minutes or something. I wonder if there's something from there that I can extract. You know, it's a, I don't know, I don't have it in front of me. Are you not aware of this clip? It's like a long clip. Is it the one from Ice House? Yes, or the one... yes, Ice oh, House. Okay. Yes, that's the one. And yeah, I wondered if we could give, there. is there some, is, do you want to pick a segment? Should I play the whole thing? I can do whatever you like. Maybe pick something. Okay. <laughs> is there anything, <laughs> is there anything you want me to pick? Is there anything we talked about that maybe we should, uh, you know? Do you want to do the wheelchair stuff? Sure. Why don't we do that? We'll, okay. I'll, I'll extract that. And and that is that what you've got it uh, no, notated as in your notebook, uh, the wheelchair stuff? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Believe it or not, wheelchair is all I write when I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, it's probably hard to confuse that with anything else, the frankly. The wheelchair stuff. The wheelchair stuff. This is the wheelchair stuff by uh, Erica Rhodes. Erica, this was really fun. I, I appreciate the, the the time with you today, and I, I wish you the best of luck with everything going forward. Oh, thank you. I had a great time talking to you. So thanks for the interview. My parents have actually been married for 40 years. Can you believe that? 40 years. And so I've been trying to think, like, what, you know, how, how have they been married so long? What's the secret? And I think I figured it out with him. Um, I think it's because my dad can't possibly leave my mom because uh, he's in a wheelchair. <laughs> Weren't expecting that, huh? (laughs) You were like, maybe it's because he tells her she's beautiful every day. (laughs) He has MS, which it's a neurological disease, and uh, found out recently they actually have an MS walk. (laughs) Just seems very disrespectful. So I went on it, you know, to find out what all the fuss was about, and it's just like thousands of people showing off what they can do. It's just so rude. My dad hates that joke too, and I'm always like, sorry, Dad, but when I have an idea, I run with it. Unlike some people I know, so... a good sport. He's not uh, good at sports, but he's <laughs> just seeing how far I can take it. He actually probably has the best sense of humor of anyone I know. Like, this is a true story. I went home once to visit my parents, and my mom was telling me, like, Erica, you were so difficult as a kid. It was always like walking on eggshells with you. And my dad was sitting in the corner, and he just goes, I wish I could walk on eggshells. <laughs> Special thanks to Erica Rhodes for appearing on this, the 444th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One podcast network and is available on all iOS and Android platforms and also on things like Spotify, YouTube, and Audio Boom as well. If for some reason you can't find an episode that you've been looking for on any of those things, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my regularly scheduled newsletter, please visit my site, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Vish Creative or me at Vish Khanna. You can also listen to a radio show version of Creative Control on Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time around the world 
at CFRU.ca or on an actual radio at 93.3 FM if you're in or near Guelph. Also, please visit patreon.com slash Control to make a flexible monthly uh, donation to keep this podcast going. And uh, if you'd like to uh, receive a, a t-shirt uh, bearing the, the show's logo or something on it, uh, you know, if you want that in return, just send me a message on Patreon and I'll, I'll send you one right away. I'd like to acknowledge some of the in-kind support I received from the likes of Pete's Trocadero, The Bookshelf, Planet Bean Coffee, and CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph, and also Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton. Uh, that means a lot. Also, uh, thanks to my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use uh, one of his songs to end this show each and every week. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you very much for listening to this show and subscribing to it and telling your friends about it, spreading the word about it. That, that means a whole lot. And I will continue to make shows as long as you keep listening and, and doing stuff like that. It, it really does help. So thank you very much. And that's all I have to say. I will talk to you very, very soon. Goodbye for now. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.